All right, now, folks, I'm starting a new series today in Matthew chapter 9. At the end of the chapter there, I want to tie in the last part of chapter 9 with all of chapter 10 for the next six weeks as we talk about all out, equipped and sent. And uh, I love chapter 10 of Matthew and this passage I'm going to use today, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is a discourse of Jesus. He is talking to his disciples whom he has gathered around him. He is preparing them to go out into the villages and into the towns and preach the good news of the kingdom and teach the people and heal the sick. And what he has got recorded here by Matthew is that discourse, that instruction to the disciples. It is very personal. I know you'll take it personally as we go through. It is aimed at those who seek to follow Jesus. And there is a very important starting point in this uh, last paragraph of chapter 9 that I want to read to you, okay? So we're at verse 35 of chapter 9 of Matthew, if you have your Bibles. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You may have noticed that we have something of a business phenomenon in Elizabeth Holmes, who started her company, uh, uh, Theneros, when she was 19. She dropped out of Stanford University and started a biotech company. And tomorrow, they start a partnership with Walgreens. And this is the idea, the vision that Elizabeth Holmes had when she dropped out of school. She's now 29 and the head of this multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, When you go to Walgreens and you get your blood pressure done now, there may one day be a place where you can do a blood test as well. It's Elizabeth Holmes' vision that one day there will be a blood test center within five miles of every American. And that healthcare will be far more consumer-oriented than it is now. And that uh, her tests will be more accurate and quick, quickly done than any that have been done thus far. And I don't know anything about medicine or finance or whatever, but reading this article, I thought, wow! This woman is driven by an amazing vision that she thinks will help people. Well, I read the story of Jesus here by the Sea of Galilee as he gathers the people, as he goes from town to town and village to village teaching and preaching. And I know that he has a great vision for the future of the world. He talks about it in terms of the kingdom of God. And it's very important that you catch this center focus of what Jesus wants to communicate to these fishermen and the tax collector 
and the other folks who are gathered around him as his closest associates. He wants them to switch their mind from the fish to people. No longer fishers of men, uh, of fish, but fishers of men. He wants them to switch from corn and wheat in the harvest to a harvest of people and souls. He wants them to see people. He wants them to become people-focused. Some of you know that my sister-in-law, Monica Justice, has gotten the label of the Mouse Queen because she has been the president of the International Mouse Genome Society and lectures all over the world on the mouse genome. She is moving to Toronto. My brother called me up and said, we're moving to Toronto. She took the job in Toronto over others because she wants to do mouse genetics for human applications. She was here during the conference that we had for those who have Rett syndrome, a terrible genetic disorder that takes a two-year-old girl, and over the course of time, she loses her vocalization and her mobilization, and many times they die by the time they are 12. This is the most uh, severe manifestation of the genetic disorder that she's been working on. But she took the job there because she wants to continue to do her work for human application. Well, that's what drives her. And I want it to drive you because I believe Jesus wants it to drive you. Jesus wants you to be driven by your desire to love God and love people, no matter it is what your vocation, what your profession, what your activity, whatever your technology, whatever thing you're doing in the world. If you will refocus your energy and your motivation toward people, it will, it will inspire you. It will lift you. It will make you better at what you do. Jesus took these fishermen. And he said, I'm going to teach you something, but it's not about fish in the sea. It's about people on the planet. He begins his teaching and his instruction before chapter 10, before the discourse, before the sit down and let's talk about it. He begins by going to the towns and villages in Galilee, going to the synagogues and teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing those who are sick. In other words, he teaches by example. Think how intimidating it is going to be for these disciples of his when he begins the discourse to learn that he wants them to go out to the villages and towns and teach like he was teaching and proclaim the good news like he was proclaiming the good news and heal the sick like he was healing the sick. If I'd have been Thomas or Peter or John and I was sitting in that little group and Jesus was saying, now I'm going to send you out. I think I'd have been like, yikes! What? But there's one thing for sure. Every one of them has seen Jesus do it. We have a phrase around here. Disciple in motion. It's the magazine that introduces you to the ministries of our church. And it is one of the five core competencies we are seeking to develop as a congregation because we believe it's how Jesus grew disciples. Jesus said to the fishermen hanging onto their nets, drop those nets, you come follow me. And what he meant by that was not, let's circle up and do a study. 
what he meant by that was, I want you to get up from where you are and take your steps and stay right behind me. I'm on my way somewhere, and you are too. That's disciple in motion. Teach by example, and people will get it better than any other way. Before he does the discourse to send them out, he himself does what he will instruct them to do, and they follow him as he does it. Jesus looks at the harvest. He introduces the idea that we're not harvesting fish in the sea or wheat in the field. We are harvesting people. We're out here developing relationships and calling people to follow God, to obey Him, to trust in Him, to turn from their life that is selfish and self-oriented and turn to a life that is poured out for God alone. This is what Jesus is communicating as He teaches by example to His disciples. Harvest work is hard work. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you switch to a focus on people, it's going to be easy. No, it's hard work. In fact, my father had his first heart attack while he was involved in a harvest. He laid down in a bar ditch, stopped the grain truck he was driving on a farm-to-market road. He was literally going from the farm to the market in a truck, laid down in that bar ditch, as he had his first heart attack, it was the farmers that, were helping, that he was helping that found him when he had his first heart attack. My father introduced me to the onion harvest when I was about 12 years old. How many of you have harvested onions in a commercial kind of way, where you went out in a field and harvested onions? Any of you? One person here, Helga, the violinist. <laughs> Harvested onions. Well, my father took his boys, me and my four brothers that are all about my age, you know. <laughs> he said, you're going to help with the onion harvest. I thought, okay. Now, if they send you to the onion harvest, they're going to give you a pair of metal shears that are connected at the back, and they're sharp, and you just work them like this, okay? They're going to give you a gunny sack or two and put you at the front end of the longest row you've ever seen and say, take these shears, cut off the roots, cut off the top, put the onion in the bag. Sounds simple, except that you can barely squeeze the shears shut even without an onion. And I worked and worked and worked, and I saw guys that knew how to do this, and they were filling up their gunny sacks, and I look over there, and that guy's got three or four gunny sacks full, and he's just charging on, and I barely covered the bottom of my gunny sack. Fifteen minutes in the onion harvest, I was flat, wore out. This is the toughest work I ever did, crawling in the dirt, digging out those onions, putting them in the sack. I'm not going to lie to you and say the harvest is easy. This is work. Even if it's God's work, it's still spelled the same, W-O-R-K. It takes energy. It takes time. It takes focus. It takes you. But you watch Jesus do it. You see him pour out his life. You watch him with the crowds. He teaches by example. He's doing what he wants us to do.
In that crowd, there are all kind of people that need him. They're reaching out. They're crying out. They have children that are sick, co-workers that need him. They have their own illnesses as well. Jesus, Jesus, help me here. Help me there. There is this whole crowd that wants him, and sometimes the demands are exhausting to him, and he's got to get away, and he's got to find a place to escape. And sometimes when he does and he goes across the lake, the crowds find him there. That's why he had to feed the 5,000 because they all left town. They went around the lake. They caught him when he made the trip. He couldn't get away from them. It's exhausting. But he had those 12 that he called to himself. And the first reason he called them was so they could be with him. He said, 12 guys, I want you to have a ministry of presence in my life. I want you to be here. And we're going to go and we're going to do things together. And I'm calling you to follow me to stay right on my shoulder for these next years. Now, maybe those 12 people were at first part of that crowd, everybody is, that's reaching out and saying, oh, Jesus, help me out, help me out. I got a need, I got a hurt, I need you to help. But they became an elite group of people because they responded to the call of God to gather around Jesus, learn from him, and duplicate what he did. Hey, which group would you rather be part of? Don't you want to be part of this group? I mean, this group over here, they don't even know who Jesus is. They're just trying to ring the bell. God's their bellhop. Ding, ding, ding. I need you, God, for something. They don't even say thank you lots of times. They get well, they just walk on away. The scripture says that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to this noisy throng that always wanted something from him, hollering at him, oh, help me here, help me there, and when the need is is satisfied, they're gone. But this crowd over here, this group, he poured his life into. You want to be here. You want to hear the call, and you want to see the world like Jesus sees it, okay? So, See with compassion. That's how Jesus saw the crowd. He saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. Not everybody sees the crowd for one thing. For many people, the crowd is invisible. They drive by them and they don't see them. They really don't want to have anything to do with them. It's too much. For some, the crowd is overwhelming. All these people with all these needs. How in the world will I ever do anything with so much need in the world and so many people crying out for help? Where do you even start, even in our community, even in this city? Where in the world do you start? And some people see the noisy crowd, the throng that has so many needs, and they just give up. They're overwhelmed and paralyzed by the presence of the need. Some people see an opportunity to exploit the crowd. Hey, I see this crowd, and you know what? I think I can make something for myself out of this. So they want to exploit the crowd. Jesus wants you to see the crowd like he sees the crowd. A lot of times, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they just want to get them away. The children, uh, send them away. Jesus, come on. Let's, let's get somewhere else. But he's teaching you how to see the crowd as he sees them. Can you see the crowd, the people with needs? 
See with compassion. Jesus describes them as harassed and helpless. Can you see them that way? Do you see them as harassed and helpless? The picture is of a flock of sheep that have been chased by coyotes or wolves. And when the shepherd's not there to protect them, all they can do is run. The word harassed is just exhausted, worn out. These sheep are exhausted. It looks like they're about to drop. And the word helpless in the King James is, is translated scattered abroad. They're just here, there, and everywhere. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I tell you, a group of sheep have no chance without a shepherd. I was watching the sheep going back into the pasture here a few weeks ago, and I saw one of them was limping and noticed that he'd been slashed by some predator's tooth, and he was likely going to curl up somewhere and die. The predator had got to him. That's what Jesus saw when he looked at people, and he had compassion on them. What do you see? You may say to yourself, well, Jesus himself is a peasant. He's from a little bitty place called Nazareth. His mother was pregnant with him before she got married. I mean, who's he? Maybe the crowd sometimes asked that. In fact, sometimes they did. Hey, we know who you are. We know who your parents are. We know where you're from. We know your story. Trying to dismiss Jesus. It is curious, isn't it, that a peasant born in a humble circumstances out in a field would grow to be 30 and suddenly be in the center of the crowd teaching, talking to them, proclaiming good meals, healing the sick, seeing them in a different way than anybody would seen them before. What's up with him? He's got a different set of eyes, a different look at the world. He's seen things differently than other people see them. He sees the crowd, and he wants you to see them. He sees that they are harassed and helpless, and he wants you to see that too. Now, in Jesus' time, they were harassed and helpless in a political way as well as other ways. Rome had its heel on Judea. Herod the king, he was just a puppet. He was ruled by the Caesar. And the religious authorities fought among themselves and seemed to care little for the people. In fact, often they seemed to despise the common people. So when Jesus described them as harassed and helpless, in part it was the circumstance of the hour, the day, the time, and the era. Just 40 brief years from the time Jesus uttered these words, the Roman army would march into Jerusalem and they would level it. They would destroy the temple. They would drag the stones apart. They would sow the salt in the ground so nothing would grow. They'd cut down trees, create crosses till there were no more trees to build. They destroyed Jerusalem 40 years later. But you know what? Being harassed and helpless is not just about living in Judea in the first century. It's about living where you live. 
It's about the problems that you face that sometimes are overwhelming. It's the suffering that you endure. It's every generation, every geography, in every era of life. People end up harassed and helpless, feeling weak and exhausted, dropping into bed, feeling like they've given everything they can give and there's nothing else to give, feeling like they're scattered and they're wondering what direction life is taking. And it's, it's a common experience in the human family to feel that way. Sometimes we feel that way as teenagers and we think, once I get into college, then life will come together. And we get to college and we think, well, this is harassment. This is weariness. This is exhaustion. This is being scattered. When I get out of here, when I get my job, finally I'll have some direction. Or when I get married or when I have my family or when I have my kids in the house, then life will settle down and I'll experience some peace. And this trouble that I feel and anxiety that I feel, it'll go away. Or maybe once the kids are here, you're thinking, you know, when I finally get to the empty nest and all the kids are gone, yeah, that'll be great. Then I'll be able to settle back, enjoy life, and not worry about a thing. In every era of life, we discover that it is part of the human condition, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you got kids or whether you don't. The difficulties and problems and trials of life pile in upon you and sometimes your heart is heavy and sometimes your soul is burdened. So Jesus says, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And you know what? When we hear that invitation, we think that's me. I need some rest. That describes me. Weary, heavy laden, that's me. Think about it. It's not just you. With the trials and troubles and the demands that seem to overwhelm you and the things that seem to have no solution in your life, it's the person sitting next to you in the pew. It's the person you meet at work. It's the fellow student in the classroom. It's all of us, every one of us. It's the human condition, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd describes people and Jesus can see it now Jesus wants you to see people in their need but also the great opportunity that you have to be a conduit of God's grace and truth and good news to them to see them in their need is not to make you desperate not to overwhelm you but to help you be part of God's work, God's kingdom in the world in which you live. So see with compassion and you will be like Jesus. And ask for laborers. There's an ask here. There's an ask. Pray ye therefore, the old Bible said. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest what shall I pray? That he will send laborers into his harvest field. That's what I want you to pray. See, harvest time, it's all hands on deck. We need everybody. My father was driving a grain truck even though he was a pastor because for those three weeks when the harvest came and my brother-in-law is trying to bring in 7,000 acres of corn and wheat, everybody piles in. 
If you live in an agricultural community, you know harvest time, it is urgent. It's everybody helping in your extra hours whenever you can. Women as well as men, boys and girls, young people, everybody has a job to do in harvest time. Jesus wants to communicate that to us. That it's very important that everybody get involved in harvest. So he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest. If you'll ask, he will hear. Your ask, your prayer will move the heart of God. We need lots more laborers in the city of New Orleans. Many more people who feel sent out, called by God to proclaim the good news and to be part of the kingdom of God in the place where he has planted them. And so we just need to ask, Lord, do it, and it will move the heart of God. It already expresses his will. We know that. We don't know sometimes how to pray, but here's a prayer that Jesus gives us. We know it to be the will of God. We can say, pray, uh, Lord, please send out laborers into the harvest, and we know it reflects his heart because Jesus said it did. Your children need to hear you pray this prayer. Your spouse needs to hear you pray this prayer. I understand that there are a number of TV dramas now where they are praying together around the table. I think I've seen it once. Maybe you've seen it. Have you seen it on television, network TV, where people are praying together? Maybe in the cables? I don't know. I've, seen, I've heard a couple reports of people praying together. Jonathan, have you seen somebody praying together? Yeah. All right. Hey, that's great. It is a form of communication that needs to be noted and understood. When my wife prays, almost always, I get a surprise. We've been married 40 years, and she starts talking to God with the sincerity of her heart, and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't know she was concerned about that. I didn't know that was on her heart. In other words, when you pray and you ask, not only does God hear, but the most significant people in your life here too. You get in your Bible study class and you pray for workers in the harvest and people here. And they understand that you're seeking to be sincere and you're trying to reflect a true longing of your heart and therefore workers in the harvest is important to you. It's not important to everybody. Not everybody can get into this passage. I know that. There are thousands who read through this and it doesn't mean a thing to them. But for people who are seeking to connect to the heart of Christ, for people who are seeking to gather around and be the intimate few who are with him and doing what he did, for those who are in the inner circle, because he's called them there, and I hope that's you, this reflects the heart of the Savior. So I want my family to hear the prayer like I heard the prayer when I was a boy at the table of my father. I heard the prayer, Lord, Send the missionaries. Send the workers. Your children, your spouse need to hear the prayer. And you need to hear it too. You need to be able to pray the prayer, Lord, send labors into the harvest with such passion and sincerity. It needs to come from the bottom of your heart. It needs to express a deep felt desire in your soul. God, we need more labors in the harvest. Lord, send more labors into the harvest. Can you pray this prayer? Does it touch a note in you? Can you pray this prayer? 
And if you can, will you pray this prayer? Because if you pray this prayer, you will hear it with your own ears. And it will change you. So Jesus was saying, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest so that my disciples may be motivated and the people they know may be motivated and we may all understand what an urgency this is to the Lord, the Lord of the harvest. Because the last thing I want you to think is, well, it all depends on me. I got to go out there and save the world. No, you don't. All you've got to do is respond to the call of Jesus to fish for people, to be a fisher of men, to focus on people as the primary calling of your life, whatever your vocation or avocation, to see that as the path God has given you, to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to make this a perspective of your life. All you've got to do is see the crowd as Jesus saw them, with compassion, with love with empathy, with a desire to go beyond feeling to help in a time of need. All you've got to do is be faithful in the place God's planted you, right where you are, with the people you already know. What God wants you to do is wake up to the opportunity that is yours where he's planted you, and he is the Lord of the harvest. Remember whose harvest this is. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into his harvest field. The rain is coming. It's urgent. We've got to get the grain in. Who cares more than anybody? The man that owns the harvest. That's who. Other laborers may sleep late. They may turn on the snooze. But not the owner. The owner is out there before anybody while it's still dark. He's in the field. He's checking the moisture. He's looking at the equipment. He's making sure everything's ready to go because to him, it's live or die. If you're a farmer, you get payday when the harvest comes in. And if you don't get the harvest in, it's over for you. So financially, everything about it depends on getting that harvest in. And he has the urgency. That's God with people that's the kingdom of God among us this is the king and his heart it is an urgent matter with him he has done all this wonderful work to bring us to himself he is not willing that one perish but all come to repentance his grace is greater than all our sin he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul is saying, don't you know God's going to meet your need at the crisis point in the context of your life, in the people, the relationships that you have? Don't you know God's going to meet your need? Don't you know he's active in you? Look what he did with his son. He spared not his own son, and he will not spare any effort on your part, in your world, in your relationships, in your job, to bring the kingdom where you live. If you will pull in, if you will hear the call, if you will see the need, if you will look with compassion, God will use you to bring the kingdom.
It's all on him after all. He is the sovereign Lord of glory. He uses us not because we are essential to him, but because it is the honor and privilege we have to serve with God in the harvest. Don't be overwhelmed by what you see in the world, by trouble in Syria or trouble in, in New Orleans. Be faithful in what he's called you to do and he will use you to change your world. I think about this harvest and when I prepared this message, I was thinking, I wonder if anybody in the room is part of the harvest. I wonder if there's anybody there who's not yet come to Christ through his invitation. I wonder if there's anybody who still thinks God is their bellhop and they just call him when they have a need, but other than that, they just go on with their life. I wonder if anybody in the room needs to confess their sin, turn to Christ, receive him as Savior, and come into the kingdom themselves. If so, this response time is for you. Let's bow together. We're asking you, Lord, to send out laborers into the harvest. And during this time of response, we want you to speak to us, speak to our hearts. Call us to yourself. Remind us of the things you've told us to do that we have overlooked or left behind. Lord, we pray that you will help us be involved in this work of your kingdom, the proclamation of the good news. I pray for the one who's not in the harvest yet, that today would be the day they confess, repent, and trust you as Savior. Lord, bring them to yourself. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.